Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. One, two. Strike three called. Nebraska, your 2021 Big Ten champions. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave. Honky, Matt, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. We are the champions, my friends. I can keep going, but uh, well done, Will Bolt and cast and uh, champs. Feels good, fellas. Feels real good. That's right. Everybody now is a sneak preview on uh, Honky in the karaoke uh, room there. Mm-hmm. Um, also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Uh, I'm very excited about the baseball team's championship and the trip to Ireland is back on. So start saving now, Redcasters. We're going to start a GoFundMe. Get the Redcast to Ireland. We'll see how it goes. I like it. I like <laughs> it. I would take that. Yeah. Also with Boomer. I don't have any Queen lyrics to share, but I am excited for the uh, regular season conference championship and looking forward to our breakdown of the, the Big Ten uh, postseason baseball tournament and how we're going to fare in that. And, oh, <laughs> darn. Well, all you have to do is look at the non-conference uh, that we – oh, wait a second, Boomer. You're right. Good point. We really don't know what Nebraska uh, has in store in their postseason, but we know there will be a postseason. Uh, they left – Nothing in doubt over the weekend going 4-0 in Bloomington, knocking out Indiana and Ohio State. Thanks to uh, the Maryland Terrapins, Honky, taking care of two out of three versus Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, We had a pleasant championship Sunday, which we didn't really expect, right? When we were going into the weekend, uh, we hadn't really done the math, right? But uh, I texted you guys, I think, uh, late Saturday night, and I was like, you know, Boomer, I'm no mathematician, but as far as I can tell, Michigan's only two and a half back, but Maryland's three and a half. If the Terps win and we win, that's a title, right? And Boomer is like, yep, I think so. <laughs> yeah, all those years of it. statistics paid off from college. Yes, so. yes I was counting on, on Boomer's math skills, uh, but it, it, it played out that way, right, Honk? Yeah, it seemed fairly easy. I, it was only until Sunday when it was all actually happening that in the middle of the game, the question started coming up, well, is it really going to be, or is the Big Ten going to add extra games? It's like, what the heck's going on here, you know? But uh, we had a question about that even. I'll throw one already in from the mailbag, Dave. But uh, Joseph Richardson, he goes, any info on how we went from adding more games this week during the game broadcast Sunday to winning the conference championship outright an hour or so later? Any word? (laughs) You know, I can't say I have any insight, but um, so I I was watching that on, on my phone, actually. I've and uh wasn't listening to the audio and then i started to see you guys text about that some tweets come in then i I went and looked at the standings because i remember looking at earlier this week and i'm like well michigan is already on pace to get to 44 games they just have the three next week what are we talking about 
And they sh- sure enough did have two games canceled versus Northwestern. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were in a pod that weekend. So they had played Illinois four games. They just made up the two games that got canceled versus Northwestern by playing Illinois uh, four times. And so I'm like, they can't give Michigan extra games to play. So the only thing that could possibly come out of this is us playing Northwestern one extra game. And that would have required Northwestern to come to Lincoln to play that game, unless they were going to have us stop in Evanston on the way back from Bloomington. And so <laughs> I'll throw out a theory here is like, maybe they proposed this somehow halfway through the game. And I'd like to think someone in the Nebraska administration uh, just raised their hand up and like, I mean, look, <laughs> there's fair. And then there's completely unfair. And like, that was a cancellation by Northwestern because they didn't have enough pitchers due to COVID. That game was in Lincoln. And you're going to make us stop off in Evanston to play one extra game before we go back to Lincoln and then try to beat Michigan. So you're going to turn that into a road game for us before we have the most important series of the, of the year. That just would have been total BS right there. So I, I just, I don't know who was throwing at that out there but it doesn't make any sense, right, Boomer? Yeah, and I can't imagine the phone call to Northwestern was greeted with a whole lot of enthusiasm and yeah. excitement. And like, yeah, they you want us to, to go to what game? midweek? You know, it, they're not a school known for their, you know, passionate desire to play baseball as is. So I, I, I can't imagine that went over well with any of the possible participants. So that probably got shut down pretty quickly by both universities. You know, I would imagine that's just my behind the scenes takes. Yeah, I mean, I want to be clear: the Big Ten has allowed a couple of makeup games in the last few weeks. Um, in fact, uh, Indiana played Illinois last Tuesday or so, I want to say. And in fact, lost a game. They, they lost another half game back, right? Because they had actually lost a midweek game they were trying to make up. So making up games had been happening in the Big Ten. Uh, that wouldn't have been unprecedented. It just, the circumstances there just didn't add up. As far as Nebraska goes, though, I mean, what an amazing weekend, right? I mean, and yeah. really, what an amazing... Yeah, I I was down on the team the weekend that Rob came down and we went and watched Rutgers sweep us. And I was concerned at that point, I think, as anyone was. And I remember the text, Sonky. But that next weekend, you know, my hot take on the week after the the following week was, wow, we came back and we we had a really good, I think we went three and one that next weekend. And it was like, that's why I wanted to see how this team could come back. And they've gone on since then, I think, to go another six and oh, whatever they need to get from Rutgers, they got. I mean, they've they have played some really good ball. And this last weekend, I was concerned. Ohio State, Indiana, you know, those are two teams that, you know, could certainly beat us. And uh, to just take them apart. And then on the Sunday, when you need that last win, you know, I mean, everything's set up for you. It would have been so easy for an inexperienced young team to play a a bad game and have Ohio State, you know, take it from them. And for them to to go out and go 9-0 and take it away right away in the first inning the way they did. That was amazing. That was some outstanding baseball to watch. I would say that the Saturday was even more impressive in the sense that it was a doubleheader. Uh, you had to take on three games there essentially within 24 hours. And in game two, Boomer, we fall way behind Ohio State. We actually have Shannon start the second game of the series. So they're saving Chance Roach to go in the second game of the doubleheader. We're really behind the eight ball there, and we come all the way back in the last three innings and and win um, 11-9, 
And that really, I feel like that to me indicated that the, this team was ready to, to, to play this weekend and get the job done because that, that is no easy task knowing that you have two more games to play in a pod to put that much effort into winning game two. Yeah, that would have been an easy game to kind of check out of, um, you know, figuring out, okay, we're down a bunch here. We have two more games trying to make this up, especially since it was against Ohio State, who wasn't really threatening to, you know, overtake you, say, like in Indiana or something could have possibly been. So, you know, that just showed it's a team that's not going to quit, uh, you know, no matter what the stakes were. So it, it would have been easy to do so, and they didn't do it. And I was impressed with that comeback, and that kind of set the tone, like you said, for the rest of the weekend to finish strong and kind of slam the door on the conference. That so was good to see. And then um, the man with the mustache, uh, just like Boomer, Chance Roach, really pitches his a perfect game, uh, in my opinion. Not literally a perfect game, but um, it's his first complete game, I believe, all year and maybe in his career, I believe I've heard. Ten strikeouts, gave up one home run in the ninth inning, only three hits total. He was smiling after he gave up the home run because I, I feel like he knew it was a mistake and he didn't feel like he was going to give up another hit. They never pulled him. And uh, to deliver that, knowing that you had another fourth game in the pod to get through on, on Sunday um, and be able to save all of those relief pitchers, it was quite the performance. Yeah, it was a good look. Like you said, quality mustaches will go a long way. And <laughs> just like you said, it's just exactly what you want in that position when you can save all your relievers and have a full bullpen and can basically do whatever you like that last game with your pitching staff. It just it frees up so much, especially at the college level, you know, when you may not have that deep rotation or not everybody does, you know, the way you would in the pros. It's just it gives you so many more options and just takes a lot of pressure off that final game and heck of a performance. Yep. From sport to sport, it just seems like it's been Husker athletics the last few years that when we get to a point where, you know, you get the interest in there all of a sudden, that's when we have a little bit of a letdown. The Rutgers series actually was a good example of that. You know, it was the weekend of the spring game. There's a lot of fans there for the first time. They're ready to show up and we have the bad weekend. Well, this should be a celebration this weekend. We've already won the championship, but yet we're expecting 8,000 fans out there. I mean, we want to sell this place out. There's that pessimist part of, I think, every Husker fan where it's like, oh, this is the, they're going to deflate out there. But I don't see that happening with this team. I mean, they just seem to be playing such good ball right now. And there's also, Dave, they seem to have some kind of leadership from within. I, we do have a couple of older guys on the team, Jackson Hallmark, and some of those guys that have, have you know, definitely have taken the leadership roles. But this team, it's not cocky, but it seems confident. And man, they play selfless baseball. And that is something that Bolt said too. I mean, that this is one of the, the least selfish teams he's ever seen. They'll, they'll do whatever they have to do, sacrifice. They will do what they have to do to get the runs in. And uh, again, it's fun baseball to watch. Yeah, I mean, we've already said it before, but they sure take on the persona of their head coach. Will Bolts is, is a perfect fit so far at Nebraska. Uh, you're right, they have great leadership um, from guys like Joe Acker and Roscom, And they're getting clutch hits from those guys, right? I mean, then you have have some of the freshmen like Max Anderson and Bryce Matthews doing great stuff too. A lot of the transfers that have come in, like Roach and Povich, uh, have led the way on the mound. So it's a it's a great combination. You know, it's interesting to see what they do. You know, you're right. They they didn't handle the success very well the first time around, uh, and the crowds. Uh, this time, are uh, they have probably a little more experience now and what to expect. Mm-hmm even though we may see about 8,000 in the, in the stadium on Friday, 
But they're playing for a lot, actually, in my opinion. I think Michigan's playing for a lot, uh, but Nebraska is too because there's seeding on the line here, and uh, you know Nebraska definitely wants to maintain that two seed and potentially move up as high as they possibly can. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility to get a one seed. They can't host, but they could get a one seed. But even if they don't, you want to be as high of a two as possible because you're getting a more vulnerable one seed to take on, right? And so whatever you can do, if you can win the series this weekend, that's the what you want to achieve. Some might be scratching their heads as you say that, because I know I did when you were, we were talking before recording. How in the world can this team still be a one seed yet there's no way that we can host a regional. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit unusual this year, but in past years there have been examples of one seeds that were not hosts, usually because they didn't have a facility uh, large enough, or maybe they didn't actually bid for a regional for whatever reason. And so it went to someone else to actually host that regional site, but the committee had determined that they were worthy of a one seed, a top 16 uh, teams in the tournament. And so that is possible out there. They Nebraska did not get on the list of 20 potential regional sites. There'll be 16 chosen um, after this weekend. Uh, Nebraska can't be one of those, but it doesn't mean we couldn't be a one seed at maybe one of these spots uh, that are, are – a little bit lower on the list, right? We're clearly not going to be a one seed and, you know, have some SEC school be the two. But uh, Gonzaga, for example, um, put in for regional. They made the top 20 list. They could be a one, but they could stumble this weekend. And maybe suddenly Nebraska, if they win two of three versus Michigan or sweep, is a one seed in Spokane. Um, Charlotte, uh, potentially a regional host, could also stumble enough that they let Nebraska in as a one seed. It's it's out there. What is so significant about like setting these regionals so early? I mean, there's games to be well, played. Well, it's never there's happened still- before, obviously. So uh, this is not normal protocol. Um, sure. They're filling their way through a little bit. So, yeah, you can blame the NCAA for this. They clearly wanted to be able to run through some COVID protocols for these sites before three or four days before a game is played. All right. Typically, you would announce these sites uh, this Sunday, essentially coming up, uh, which would be the end of the tournaments, and you're you're off to the to the races. But you're already playing on Thursday in some of those sites, I presume, presume or at least Friday, and so you'd only have four or five days to to make sure that they have everything in place to pull this off. I'm not quite for sure why they ended up choosing 20. It feels like if they were going to go through this process, when Nebraska did bid for this, mm-hmm. um, they could have got 32 sites approved um, to say, hey, we can we can pull off whatever COVID protocols you want us to do, right? Um, obviously, Nebraska is putting on games right now, and they're going to put on a game, three games this weekend with 8,000 people in the stands. Sure. So um, it feels like they could have chosen more. For some reason, they decided – to pre-select uh, initially it sounded like they were only going to pre-select 16 they broadened that by four um and when they made that decision down to 20 it happened right after the Rutgers series sweep and we didn't make the cut uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either I'm just telling you the facts mm-hmm. well we are ranked now we're 20th and 19th in this week's polls if we didn't have that one stupid Rutgers weekend, man, where would we be? If we were two and one against Rutgers that weekend and everything else has been the same since, 
would this be a top 12 top yeah it teams? seems like it doesn't it yeah this gets really confusing these are the polls that are it's not the NCAA selection committee we're talking about d1 baseball baseball america the coaches poll um but they would have us clearly inside the top 15 if not closer to the top 12 probably i guess just by attrition um especially how we played the last couple of weeks right guys so it is a head scratcher on where we could be, but you have a chance here this weekend to beat Michigan. And if you were a one seed, there's some advantages to that, right? You get to play a four seed in your first game in a regional. It's four teams. Uh, you want to be in that winner's bracket. That means you want to win the first two games. If you remember last time we were in a, a regional uh, under Darren Erstad, we lost the second game to Oklahoma State on that walk-off home run. We win that game. Um, there's a decent chance Nebraska probably gets out of that uh, that regional. But if you don't win your first two games, that means you're going to have to come back through a loser's bracket, have a lot of pitching depth, and it gets really tough. Well, we had a, a question from Little Red on drugs. And uh, first, that's a great from, name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he goes, uh, How far does Nebraska baseball go this postseason? He goes, I expect the scarlet colored glasses to be on. Now, Dave, I think to the point you're trying to make, to answer that question, a lot depends on this weekend and the setting and the seating that you end up in. I mean, we could probably give two or three scenarios right now. A, a best case scenario is what you were saying. Hey, we become a, somehow a one seed in one of those regionals, even though we're not hosting it, we're a one seed. So now we're starting off against a four seed and that can play into pitching scenarios. Do you start your starter? Do you sit some guys because you are expecting to beat that four seed? That's a different situation than, being a two seed in a maybe the best uh, regional. Like if we go three and zero this week against Michigan, we end up being a two seed. Maybe we're in the best regional possible for that. And then the worst case scenario is, yeah, Hey, we get swept by Michigan and now we're a two to three seed in a Fayetteville regional, right? Something, all yep. of those are like three different scenarios that depending on which one you fall into, which is again, all the more reason why this is an important weekend still, that sets you up for how far you're going to get into that postseason, most likely. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Boomer, you might have the most recent projections from, from D1 and Baseball America, but I do believe they finally <laughs> moved us out of the Fayetteville Regional after uh, you know winning four games in a pod last weekend. D1 kept on uh, putting us in Fayetteville. I think they finally moved us out. And actually, Boomer, uh, hopefully you have it up. I think they moved us to the Lubbock Regional, is that right? Yeah, that's what D1 Baseball has us in with in Lubbock uh, to face Texas Tech uh, and currently Cal and Abilene Christian are the the others in that. Like you said, that's just a huge deal. I mean, if you can get out of that Arkansas Regional, that's where you don't want to be. So, you know, find yourself anywhere else and mm. you're setting yourself up for a way better chance to get out of that. So, well, not yeah, that I, Texas Tech would be easy or anything, but... I said it last week. I, I love Dave Van Horn, but not so much I want to see him next weekend. That's not what we need right now. And yep, that's right. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I think this was after Indiana finally made their World Series, but they had another good team and they were a two seed, but they got sent to Nashville to play Vanderbilt, right? I mean, that Indiana team could have been good enough to get back to the World Series, but um, you just don't want to go have to go to play Vanderbilt or Arkansas or, or one of those type of teams. So um, if you could move up that two seed line. And even if you weren't a number one, but had to go play Charlotte in Charlotte or Gonzaga in Spokane, doesn't that sound more realistic than going to Fayetteville? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mac, what do you think? 
I love everything you guys are saying. It all <laughs> makes sense. <clears throat> I am very happy for the baseball team. It's just hard to get excited for a baseball program sometimes. See, every time you get geared up, they just it's so easy to get let down. I, it's a weird sport to me. Man, losses are expected, errors are counted. And, you know, it's like this pitcher only has this much of a chance against this left-handed batter because you know, he wakes up on a different side of the bed on Thursdays or something dumb, you know, <clears throat> but it's fine. A lot of people like that. Well, Mac, I was frustrated that on the last game that we pulled the pitcher after two innings and I, and Dave's texting, he's going, Oh, it's a Johnny Allstaff approach. And I'm like, well, who, I don't see him on the <laughs> roster. Who's Johnny Allstaff. But I'm, I'm just like, come on, man. Like he was pitching well. No, there's a pitch count. What? <laughs> Because he has Tommy John surgery. The guy just came back. Who's Tommy the- John? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy Chong, I think is what he meant to say. Tommy Chong surgery. <laughs> it's a well-known, uh, just known as TJ surgery at this point. Okay. Everybody has it. Most Sometimes in high school these days. But that's a long story. It was a pitcher who was in the major leagues for 20-some years, I want to say. But he had the first surgery on his elbow, which then prolonged his pitching career for for many years and now many pitchers have tommy john surgery and come back stronger uh through rehabilitation but um you have to build your strength up and so uh perry okay. is in that exactly you got a way better name than lou Gehrig. <laughs> Jeez, man <laughs> yeah yeah he got yeah. lou Gehrig's disease you didn't see yeah, that was lucky a, that like, tommy john it could have yeah, been ex- like the burt blylevin you know yeah. something like that you know could have been the elton john surgery yeah <laughs> Well, uh, it is going to be an interesting weekend. You know, I think that it's going to be a lot of fun to to see if they can take on Michigan. Obviously, Michigan was the preseason favorite. And so there's another little chip on Will Bolt and his team's shoulder to to knock off and to to make everyone understand that they are deserving of uh, this championship. So it should be fun. Buy those tickets, Redcasters. Get out there on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is going to be a great weekend. It should be a, a huge celebration. What's the weather looking like out there, guys? Mid-60s on Friday with no rain. Saturday and Sunday are upper 60s and 70s with like 30 to 40% chances. Not bad. I like those odds. So play the best guy on Friday. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's no reason not to this week. Povich, yeah, yeah, no, it'll be Povich will be pitching on, on Friday, I would imagine. Yep. You know, one question I have, guys, is and because I don't pay attention to the roster well enough to know, but – are a lot of these guys Erstad guys? I mean, it seems like Will Bolt was able to hit the ground running with this team, and I think a lot of that credit goes to probably Coach Erstad and, and the stuff he did to put this team together. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we won the, the Big Ten regular season champ. So um, what are your thoughts on that, as opposed to, say, the other men's coaches that had the basketball team and football team? Yeah, that's a great question, Mac. And I've I've heard similar questions on some of the local sports radio just comparing Will Bolt to uh, Hoiberg and Frost. You're right. Um, yeah, he definitely inherited a, a better roster and team culture. That's mm-hmm. for certain, right? Um, you know, keep in mind that Will Bolt actually coached under Erstad. He was his uh, hitting coach for several years before he went down to Texas A&M under Rob Childress. And we can talk a little bit about Rob Childress getting let go mm-hmm. here in the second hawk if you want. Yeah. But, um, and so, yeah, I, I think if you look at the roster, there's uh, a couple super seniors. We talked a lot about okay. that in football. There is the same thing in baseball. Roscom, Joe Acker, Mojo, um, Mojo Haggy all came back for an extra year and are significant contributors. Those guys actually were on that 2017 team. Oh, wow. That's cool. One. 
So they've got two uh, Big Ten Conference championships uh, that they'll have. Um, that's pretty awesome. That's fantastic, actually. Yeah. And before COVID hit in 2019, you know, Erstad's last year, uh, we were, didn't win the regular season title, but we really should have won that conference title. We, if you remember right, uh, they we got really hot at the end of the year, and they ended up losing to Ohio State. Uh, a, six seed or something like that in the big 10 tournament. They were that, that far away from winning the big 10 tournament oh, that year in Omaha. Uh, so Erstad really did have a, a, a solid program, obviously in position. Um, couldn't quite get it over the hump in the regional, right? Yeah. Mac, you're talking about the frustration of baseball, right? Yeah. That's the frustration of Erstad is the sense that he, I think he took him to at least four tournaments in his seven or eight years. Um, but really didn't have a lot of success there. Really it took that last year in 2019 to finally win the first game hmm. in a regional and yeah. really kind of get in a position where it felt like they could actually win a regional um, except for that last dang hit. Um, so um, I think it's a nice combination of Erstad's players um, and a good culture mm-hmm. that Bolton inherited mm-hmm. with um Bolt going out and doing some really good recruiting, taking advantage of the COVID year yeah. to bring in some extra transfers that made a big difference and grabbing a couple of freshmen that probably wouldn't have come to Nebraska. Max Anderson, great mm-hmm. example. Um, Cam Wynn. Cam Wynn had, uh, it was a transfer from, from A&M. He threw like a 98 mile per hour fastball over the weekend, right? So now we have two guys, him and Schwambach, mm-hmm. throwing high 90s heat, right? That's what mm-hmm. Bolt um, and his recruiting acumen and connections making that happen. Maybe yeah. that gets us over that hump then, you know, well, that, that little local flavor. And you, you want to talk about local flavor? Look at the recruiting class he has coming in right now for next year. It's like six of the eight dudes or something. I mean, they're state of Nebraska guys, but I get a little tired of some of the comparisons of Bolt and Hoiberg and Frost because to me, it just seems like the situations are so different to the point of he took over for Erstad, who left the program in much better condition than what Riley left the football program. Miles didn't leave the program in necessarily bad hands. It was just that he was going to leave it in a transition year no matter what. All those guys, Palmer and Roby, were going to be leaving. So you were going to be kind of starting over with the core of your roster anyways. But the other thing is the Big Ten is a better baseball conference today than it was 10 years ago when it was a one- or two-bid league. Now it's a three- or four-bid league. But trying to compare Big Ten baseball to where Big Ten basketball was this year or, you know, where the football, I think, has been now for a good five to six, seven years, too. Um, it's not just not the same thing. And so that's not to diminish what, what Bolt has done. I think what he's done has been outstanding. And I think he has a great vision for how he wants to recruit to this program. And Dave, we've talked so much about we love the style of play. I mean, it's fun to watch us try to push guys around the bases and stealing. And I mean, it's just a ton of fun. But uh, they're just so different. There's no point in trying to compare one to the other. But uh, my score of glasses is I'm still ecstatic with the coaches that we have at each one of those programs. Yeah, Honk. I, I agree with that. I mean, if you put, you know, a Will Bolt and this Nebraska team, and this is unfair, but you put them in the SEC, I, I don't know where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's just different competition uh, week in and week out. Now, I do think the Big Ten has three or four at least uh, NCAA uh, caliber teams. We'll see how many we get in and they have been investing in their programs. Uh, it's going to be great if Will Bolt puts us at the top of that heap, but Michigan with Backage is, is not going to go anywhere. Indiana is committed to baseball. Maryland's committed to baseball. 
And so then and there's a few others that usually rise mm-hmm. up, right? Iowa, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I think the Big Ten baseball is looks bright in the future. It's just could we position ourselves to be at the top of that that league in the near future? Yeah, and it would be a little bit different um, mm-hmm. in a different league uh, like the SEC. And if you pivot and think about what that means for a football or basketball, it's just a different mm-hmm. scenario. This is a great baseball segment, by the way, guys. I mean, this is they I, it. I think when we started the the around the Van Horn segment, I think this is what Dave envisioned. Like we'd have a couple of thirty minute segments like this one. But my last question to you, Dave, you brought up Childress being let go by A and M, and you mentioned him last week being on the hot seat a bit, and that was that was news to me at the moment. But now it's happened. Is there any concern? I guess that again, the the pessimists and, and Husker fans out there is that yeah, Bolt's going to go out and start doing great, and then all of a sudden now his name's going to come up for jobs, and you know we're going to lose him to A and M. Is there concern of that? Would he be a number one consideration for A and M? Are they do they have bigger fish out there to to go after than Bolt? I mean, what, what's your take on that? And or am I making something out of nothing? Yeah, as most Husker fans <laughs> um, can be, we can make a mountain out of a molehill, right? I mean, um, and Boomer might have a, a list of names. I could throw a few of them out, but I, I, A&M has a new AD. I think it's, I think Childress would be on his third AD already right now. I mean, he was hired mm-hmm. by Bill Byrne yep. um, and been there for 16 years, 600 wins, 13 consecutive uh, postseason appearances, four Super Regionals, two World Series. I mean, a great resume, and it just wasn't wasn't enough there. You think about it. I mean, Will Bolt was there for five years. He was his top assistant. If they're letting Rob Childress go, it wouldn't make a lot of sense. It would not be a home run hire for that fan base to bring Will Bolt back, who Many, if you follow message boards and all those crazy things, were happy that Will Bolt left. They were tired of Will Bolt. They're tired of Rob Childress. So it, I just don't think it's a realistic um, scenario whatsoever. I think that AD wants to hire a, mm-hmm. a big name, power five coach, and they're willing to pay a lot for him. And so you're going to see a completely different uh uh, name selected than Will Bolt at any. Yeah, outside of you know Will Bolt making a run and you know threatening to win the College World Series this year, I, I wouldn't anticipate him being a candidate for that. I imagine they're going to look at you know within the state of Texas or somewhere else in the SEC to try to get that big splash hire. Like Dave said, they've got money as we've all seen with their coaching hires; they're willing to spend it, and I think mm-hmm. they've got a fan Good base point. that wants to have that huge, big, splashy name come in. You know, you heard TCU's coach, Texas Tech, has come up a couple times. Um, now, who's the coach of Dallas Baptist, Dave? He comes up for about every big game that comes yeah, up. Yeah, that'd be a yeah, good He would be one that I wouldn't be surprised you might make a stab at. Was it uh, Hefner? Hefner? That sounds right, Hefner. Damn. Something like that. Damn. But, yeah, he'd be another one I'd, I, I could see him doing. I mean, they've been a quality program for years now and, you know, just down the road, so it wouldn't be a big move for him. But, um, yeah, I'd even heard rumors that, uh, you know, they might look at Michigan's coach, although that would kind of surprise me. But uh, I, I still think they want to go for that big, splashy Southern kind of hire. So I would sure. anticipate they would look or around the conference. Let me flip the question around a little bit then. Instead of, you know, being concerned about Bolt now bolting, you know, <laughs> leaving here because of all the success, how about this? We, we compare him to Dave Van Horn for a number of reasons, but the Van Horn thing that still, you know, 20 years later hurts is that he left us to go somewhere else. Well, of course he went home, right? He went to Arkansas where he even said, he goes, I wouldn't have left for any other place other than this. And 
that might be coach speak, but I kind of believe him. I think he had a great thing here and there was no reason for him to go anywhere unless home calls. Well, in Bolt's case, this is home, isn't it? I mean, in terms of at least this is his alma mater. This He has roots here. Could you see Bolt being here for 20 years, Dave? No, I could see him being here for a long haul. He's young, only 36, 37. Um, but now he's described this as his dream job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a couple of factors here. And, and some of these will only play out over time. Uh, first is how much success does he have here, right? I mean, can he actually reach a, a college world series at Nebraska, right? If he can replicate Dave Van Horn's success and it, and it's Nebraska in the big 10, not Nebraska in the big 12, uh, that's going to be really impressive. Uh, he definitely would be courted by other programs. Uh, question is, will Nebraska commit to him financially, which I would think we sure would at that point, sure. right? I think we were willing to give someone like Rob Childress, who we, I think seriously would have offered um, maybe up to 800, maybe a million dollars to, to leave a and just two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, there was rumors, I remember right, uh, the Oregon State coach Casey was, um, Moose had a connection with and he talked to, right, who has won two cultural series championships. Um, so if Will Bolt's having that type of success, I think we make sure that he's not going to leave because of money, right? And we have the alumni thing in the back pocket. Um, it'd have to be a scenario where he doesn't feel like he can continue that success because of the conference, for example, right? Does mm-hmm. the Big Ten get in the way of all this, right? That's that's the hard thing to figure out. Boomer just mentioned Michigan's coach, uh, Bakich, who Michigan hired away from Maryland before Maryland had come to the Big Ten. Uh, so he left an ACC team to come to the uh, the Big Ten because Michigan really wanted to make a, a big hire, and that's paid off for him, and they pay him very handsomely. Um, so, I mean, I think there's precedent of, of Big Ten programs paying enough to fight off other suitors because Bakich could have left after 2019 when he took Michigan to the – uh, title game of the College World Series, obviously. So, you know, I think if the Big Ten continues to trend the right direction, continues to invest in their facilities and their coaching staffs, um, maybe changes a few policies from a recruiting and roster management standpoint. And then the big one, in my opinion, and this is a whole whole nother story, is, you know, Package, the Michigan coach, has proposed this, like pushing the season back almost mm-hmm. a whole nother month. That was big news a couple of years ago. He got a lot of press on that and got a lot of positive feedback from other coaches and other administrations. It could be very positive even for Southern schools because their attendance would go up, uh, big, bigger TV windows, all the type of stuff. If that could happen in the next five, six, seven years, it could be a game changer for something like Nebraska and Will Bolt because now you um, have better weather you um, can recruit more fairly against the Southern schools, it it would be a big deal. So if something like that happens uh, and the Big Ten continues to go in the right direction, Bolt could be here for 20 plus years. And then when you got somebody like Alvarez, you know, working with the Big Ten now who really understands baseball, you can really expect (laughs) them to, you really push hard for the growth of the sport. Boomer, 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 the snide comments. He's true though. You know, Barry knows baseball so well. Wisconsin's been a powerhouse for never. (laughs) Not since when did they drop it, Boomer? Or Boomer, do you know? Oh, geez, I'd have to look it up. It's it's within our lives. I know that much. Oh, but, was uh, it okay? That maybe it was all the way back. Yeah, well, let me say, let me look. I'll look into it real quick. Yeah, I remember Iowa State dropping it uh, in the late '90s when 
we were still in college. And did Colorado ever have it, or did they, they drop did, it? I think they dropped theirs back in the 70s or 80s. It had been a long time. 91, that's when Wisconsin dropped baseball. There you go. So, yeah, I think Bolt could be here the long haul. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, fellas, let's put on our scarlet colored glasses and talk all things Husker football. And um, as Honky alluded to in the intro, we have a game in Ireland again. Uh, we've moved it back one full year. It's 2022. But Mac, uh, you are our um, local Irishman here. You got to <laughs> yeah. be excited. We're taking on Northwestern in Dublin. That's in, right. In week zero, uh, in now a, a year from now. But I think this is a, a trip that we got to try to make, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty exciting, as Mike likes to call them, Hydrox NU, as long as they don't come down with COVID yet again. I mean, this seems to be a trend <laughs> with this, this university. but I don't trust them. I know. Let's just hope, though. But that's going to be, man, that's going to be a great matchup. You know, they lose a home game. We keep our home games. That's kind of a team you like catching a little early too in the year, Northwestern. You know, that's a team that sort of warms up later on and they get uh, scrappy. So I don't know. I'm, they can't control the length of the grass either, which is nice. That's a good point. That's a good point. Even though Fitzgerald thinks he probably has some hold over Ireland, you know, hopefully we can fight <laughs> right. that off. You know, Honk, um, you had Meg on a couple of weeks ago, Hot Mess Husker. She had a great tweet about us losing a home game uh, when this got announced and everybody jumped on her like, no, Northwestern's losing her home game, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Jokes on you guys. <laughs> we essentially have a home game when we go to Evanston, right? I mean, so, well, you know, that was classic. Yeah. And it plays right into this question from Little Red on Drugs, and I'll ask it to Boomer. But what does a school like Northwestern have to gain by taking a home game to Ireland? I get why we want to get it done so bad, but I never have understood why an Illinois or Northwestern would be willing. Well, <laughs> Yeah, two reasons. First off, like they said, uh, Nebraska and Evanston is mostly red anyway, so and Northwestern always seems to play better on the road. And second, uh, what is everything about this amateur sport? It's all money-related. Uh, the <laughs> amount of money they're going to – I don't know what the payout is for these Aerolingus classics, but uh, I imagine it's quite a bit higher than anything you know Northwestern would net from a home game you know, attendance-wise not the biggest of stadiums and Nebraska makes money too showing up. So it's a win-win for both at this point. And that's why these things happen. Just plain and simple. Yeah. A lot of exposure being played on week zero when there's not a lot of other games going on. And again, Plus it really helps with that recruiting pipeline in uh, Cork <laughs> County. So that's mm. very yeah. true. Yeah, true. And you'll notice none of these games are ever ones that were scheduled in Lincoln and then get moved over. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. When we played, in Tokyo against K-State, that was a Manhattan game that they just chose to play on the other side of the world. When we played in Kansas City in Arrowhead against Oklahoma State, that was a Stillwater home game that they decided to play, you know, two hours south of Lincoln. Why? Because they make more money on a game that they weren't going to sell out anyways unless Nebraska fans came to their home stadium. That's the reality of these situations. Nebraska is always going to need its seven home games. That's part of our scheduling strategy and then hopefully with a couple extra garth brooks concerts a year maybe we can have eight or nine that's right um the end of the day it makes sense to have nebraska it's still a national name brand uh we're gonna travel well and uh, it's gonna make for great television to have uh, a storied traditional program like nebraska playing over there and northwestern as far as uh, they're concerned to meg's point 
they don't want to see Ryan Field with a bunch of red in it right now. <laughs> so, yeah. so might as well send the red to Dublin. Poor Patty Fisher. Graduated, you know, in seven short years. If he could have just stayed on for a couple more, you know, he could have made that trip. Could be a super, super senior, super, super, yeah, yeah. super double dog dare senior. I think it's great that we're doing this. I think that uh, it'll be good for Nebraska, and you know, let's let's see how this plays out. Maybe it'll be better to be in 2022 opposed to 2021, which was the original idea where we were going to play Illinois over there in Dublin. Now we have Illinois in Champaign, Brent Bielema's uh, first game. And there's a <laughs> opening line on that, right, guys? I, I see this number at, what is it, Boomer? Nine and a half? Yeah, nine and a half is what it opened out the other day. Yeah. That seems high. A little bit. I was a little surprised at that, too. I, you know, I don't know if they're just trying to see what they can fish out money-wise early or, or what their thought process is. I get it's a new coach, but it's not like he's a brand-new head coach or anything like that at Illinois. Um, so I, I would have thought it would open somewhere closer to six, six and a half. Is this like the version of like Vegas clickbaiting us or something? Is that what they're doing? I mean, how do you... They've done it before, Hawk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think in past years, I mean, it hasn't been the case recently, but a lot of times... You know, Vegas knows Nebraska fans are going to bet on Nebraska and that line will move accordingly. So they kind of do an early adjustment to, to egg us into um, taking us uh, in a situation like this. But nine and a half seems um, seems high, uh, but maybe they know something that we don't. I don't I don't know. It's hard to say. Well, that that's a long ways off. Right. We've uh, got a few more months to the BetCast can tackle that at some point, uh, maybe in August where we figure <laughs> out what we're actually going to lay on that game. But, um, you know, there's plenty of stuff beforehand and all the local uh, scribes are, are still producing off-season stories. One that caught my eye, Honky, is Sam McCune had a great uh, position breakout, kind of ranking the different position groups by talent, depth, um, all those type of things. And it was, it was a pretty interesting breakdown by the World Herald there. I think I saw the defensive line at number one. Is that right? Yeah, they did kind of a formula of how they – it wasn't just picking groups. It was – they were trying to put a little bit of uh, – oh, quantitative or qualitative i don't know some kind of research behind it <laughs> there was numbers and stuff there was numbers there is and the mathematician i know that's right but anywho they did eight different position groups and at number eight was running backs number seven was special teams they had wide receivers and tight ends combined at number six number five was qbs so if we just stop and look at the top half of this, eight through five, running back, special teams, wide receiver, tight ends, and QBs, you're going to notice something here. Not a defensive position group mentioned yet. Now let's look at the top four, and it was number four was DBs, number three was O-line, number two was linebackers, and number one is defensive line. I have two takeaways from that top half, and one of them is obviously that the entire defense is in the top half. But the other thing is, if you look at those top three, O-line, linebackers, and D-line, they say that, you know, you win it in the trenches in the Big Ten, and it's taken Frost some time to develop and get that built up. But here we are in year four, and they're basically saying the strength of this team on both sides of the ball is going to be up front. That's the model for success in this conference. Am I am I right? I mean, if, if we're good at the O-line, that's going to help those running backs. That's going to help that quarterback. That quarterback's going to have more time to throw it to the bigger receivers. I mean, Mac 
When you see that, is that what it looks like to be successful in the Big Ten? Yeah, there's no question. You, you've got to start up front on both sides of the ball. And, and we've seen what happens when you don't have it. I think that's probably, if I'm using the criteria that they used, I guess I would probably line it up pretty similarly, similar, the same way. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but as I look through it, though, Ian, the running backs at eight, I mean, I guess that's true. But you do have a guy, if, if Step comes back, who's played college football. I mean, I, I do like the talent back there, but there's no question we lack experience. And there's no question that uh, there, there's just a bunch of unknowns. But I, it, it'd be Mac, interesting at the end of the year what we rank these. I mean, Mac, right now, I mean, you're right. It might change. But right now, if you were a betting man, who would you put the odds, the best odds of starting game one for Nebraska at running back? I want to say Sevian Morrison. If you he stays healthy, I want to say Sevian Morrison. My initial thought was Scott. I don't know why. I just thought Scott would probably be the guy who takes the first snaps. I just you think don't think it's Gabe Irvin? I'm saying like uh, as a it's freshman? a legitimate. If you ran the odds today, there, if there was a board, I think you might be right. But I think Irvin or even Step would still might be higher than those two. And mm-hmm. Step, we don't know if he's going to be back or not. It seems like there's a lot of questions out there on whether his health is going to allow him to be able to yeah, be ready for, sure. for game Big one. Question. And Gabe Irvin's a true freshman, right? Yeah. And so that's that's why I think they're ranked eight. Well, for sure. And and Gabe Irvin. The only reason I didn't pick him is that he is a true, true freshman. And But if he does start, I think that's actually a really good sign. I really have no problem with him starting. I wouldn't look at that and go, oh, man, our room's in trouble at all. Because he's running backs, it's different. You come into high school, if you can play, you're going to play. It's very rare that guys kind of come on their third and fourth year. You're good out of the gate. And he's a Zigbo scenario is very well, yeah, that was very unusual. Very unusual. Yeah, as, as Zigbo required a new coaching staff come in to identify him. It's almost like the Corey Ross thing. He was going yeah. nowhere fast under Solich, and then Callahan kind of identified him differently, you know, and found different ways to use him. Every back we have, what's weird about that position being eighth is that there is like a ton of talent in that room. And if any one of those guys, I could find great reasons where if Scott's our starter, I'm like, yeah, he's the solid guy that has been practicing all through spring. And, you know, he gave us some, some minutes last year. That makes sense. And if it's Irvin, oh, yeah, here's our true freshman guy that's coming in, had this great offseason, great spring and ton of talent. That makes sense. And if it's Step, oh, yeah, he's the transfer. And if it's Sevian, oh, my gosh, you know, here's the four star kid that broke all of Spencer Tillman's records. They all make sense but I have no idea who's going to be doing it. You know, I just really don't. I, it is a good sign that we have the numbers there, but at the end of the day, you probably want one or two really, really good backs versus five average ones. And two for sure. Yeah. I mean, we really need a couple of guys to step up step with him, not even playing in the spring. It's hard to think of him as being that thousand yard bell cow guy. Right. And well, I know we're, this is the year of not the bell cow. We're not supposed to say bell cow. That's I was not downhill working. running this year. Downhill running. I think it's all about kind of putting the right perspective on each guy. I think if Step is healthy, I think he can be short yardage kind of back along with Yant. That can be their role. And then, you know, you're just hoping other guys, if they can find their role early in the season, then maybe out of that bunch, somebody, one or two guys builds their role a little bit more and a little bit more as the season goes on and, and we're looking a little different by game six and by game eight and by game 10, we start to know who those two or three guys are. <laughs> That's such a good question. I'm really excited about that room though. I'm not nervous about it. I just, I'm just curious to see how it shakes out. 
Well, you know, there's an interesting stat I saw on, on Twitter here in the last week. It was about running backs. And it was at Michigan State. Do you know when the last time they've had a running back score a touchdown in a game was? 2019, maybe. 2019, November. <laughs> November of 2019. You got to make those pre-production meetings. Uh, otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's crazy is, is that over the course of that time, they've gone six and five. They have an actual winning record. Um, now their defense, they've, they've scored a safety. They've had a pick six. They've had a scoop and score. Uh, their quarterback has run four touchdowns in. They've thrown 13 touching touchdown passes. So, I mean, they've found ways to score in other ways, but you know, and I think of Michigan state as a traditional big 10 run the ball, you know, big backs sure. and all those things. And they haven't been putting the ball in the end zone with their running backs. And yet they've been finding ways to win games uh, at number seven special teams. Boomer, it's been probably number seven a number of years, the, the last few years. We posted a thing last week on the 2010 San Diego Chargers. And one of the biggest anomalies in pro football history, they were number one in total offense for the season. They were number one for total defense in the season. And Dave, I know you know the answer already, but how did they finish? Nine and seven. They didn't win their division. They didn't make the playoffs. And how in the world can the team with the number one defense and the number one offense not make the playoffs? They were historically bad at special teams. The amount of punt blocks and kickoff returns and missed field goals and just squib kicks that went out of bounds. I mean, just everything that could go wrong in one season. We were watching a, a YouTube video that was on Look up that season, Redcaster. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how bad they were, but it undid <laughs> all of these positives that they were doing on offense and defense. It's, it's crazy. So I guess I, I'm stealing this from Boomer, but special teams are important. Number six on that list, wide receivers and tight ends. I think we all know the talents there, the sizes there. I, I don't think of this as being a problem group, and yet I don't necessarily have a problem with that being number six out of that list. And I think that the starting group that we have is going to be a darn good one, Mac. Oh, heck yeah. And and we're, we're completely unscoutable on offense right now. You know, like, <laughs> What are they going to do? It's like they don't have to just find where, where's number one lined up at and just follow him. That'll pose a little bit of a challenge for the opposing defenses. Yeah, I mean, the wide receiver group, you're right, Honk. Who are you going to jump, you know, in the, on that list ahead of them? They're, it's just they're right where they should be. Tons of potential and everything like that. Even if they, they play out to their potential, I don't know that they jump any of those groups. You know, we could have a really good year from that wide receiver core and it'd still be ranked about where it probably should be. Next, number five is the quarterbacks. I don't know if you guys know this, fellas, but but we have competition. There's another competitor in the Husker podcast world, and it is our quarterback, Adrian Martinez. And uh, they've started up a, a new podcast called uh, Athletes Unfiltered. I was listening to the first episode they did, and what I really like is it gives him a little bit of an opportunity. He still has to be filtered. I mean, he you can only be so unfiltered, but he did – He's using it to call out some people on that platform that we like to call people out on Twitter. And he had a great quote. He goes, just make it make sense. If you're going to come at someone on Twitter, just act like you know what you're talking about. And that was well said, Adrian. I appreciate that. At quarterback here, it is the fourth year returning starter. I mean, this I don't have an issue with this being number five. And yet, if he has a great season, it could be number one. He could be that good uh, in his fourth year. If the O-line plays like number three, like they have on this list, if he has time to throw it and he's got the big body guys to throw it to, I think that Martinez is primed to have a, a great senior season. You know, as far as the backups go, I mean, obviously they're unproven, but they've, you know, they had chances to get through spring. Dave, 
QB wise, do you have any issue with that being number five out of that list? Yeah, I guess it makes sense from a, a depth perception. I, I, if, if you're asking me from a starting position standpoint, I think it's probably too low, but I'm, I'm okay with fifth. I, I, I wouldn't have had an issue if it was a little bit higher, though. It's hard to compare quarterback at number five with DBs at number four when you're comparing one starter at a position to four starters at the next one, right? Now, the DBs, number four, we're starting to move into the black shirts. You know, there's three of the four starters back. Uh, all we have to do right now is replace Boodle, and we have a slew of dudes that are, are there to compete for that. Braxton Clark and Deed Joseph and Newsom, and then you're throwing Pola Gates into the mix and Farmer and Javen Wright. I mean, my goodness, the, the numbers and the size and everything there. Uh, again, Mac, you know, when you look at those DBs, do you have any issue with them being number four there? And, you know, what are you expecting out of that secondary group? Yeah, it's crazy when you when you say it and you, you list all those names and you're like fourth. But then I think about it, well, fourth is probably about right. But but you got a lot of seasoned guys back there with only, you know, the one to replace. And I feel like we're all pretty confident that we have the depth to do that and not really skip a beat and, and really turn it up a notch in the secondary. And the guys we have waiting to come off the bench are just as exciting as the guys we have starting in a lot of cases. So and it's fourth, and I don't have a problem with that. So that's that's a pretty good sign to me. All right, well, Dave, let's get to the top three here. We already said it. This is we're getting into the trenches. If that O line performs at the level that would put them as the third best unit here, you know what does that mean for this year's offense? It's all good to me on that one. If if they're as the third best unit out there, that means we're going to be able to run the ball. We're going to have pass protection. I mean, it all starts up front. Uh, we've been looking for this for years, not under only Scott Frost, but beyond that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if we actually have that good of an offensive line, that bodes well for a win-loss record, in my opinion. Yeah, think about that eighth group, running backs. How yeah. concerned are you about that group if the O-line is performing at the number three or number two you know, kind of level? That If that O-line is that good this year, how concerned are you about whoever the back is that they're putting behind them? Yeah, and how well the quarterback can perform throwing his wide receivers. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's great. And number one, number two, I'm just going to throw them together. This is our front seven. It's linebackers and defensive line. And again, I'll go back to you, Mac, here. Our rush defense has progressed year by year under Shenander to the point last year. I think we averaged like 4.6 yards a carry or something like mm-hmm. that. And we had some really good games. The Iowa game, I know we held them to like 126 yards or like 45 carries, roughly three yards a carry. The improvement in that front seven uh, we looked like a Big Ten defense last year, mm-hmm. and we virtually lose no one from that. What do you see out of this front seven? Uh, right, really, right away against Illinois. Pain. I just think we're going <laughs> to. I mean, <laughs> I, and we got a lot of mean guys out there right now. It's crazy that the, the linebackers are ranked two, and we lost a starter. I assume that's factoring in that that, sure. yeah, that bonus is out. So, I mean, that that just speaks to the depth that you have right there. And plan on them flying around i mean they they are just i think poised for a really big year and going up against a team that probably will try to run it at us in the first game i think that suits them right down to the bone i I think they would welcome that and frankly illinois the last two years we played them have hit the living hell out of us they those guys have been physical and it would be nice to start off the season and really get down and dirty in the trenches again and see what it's like I'm not worried about that game, to be honest with you. No, we need it. They've been physical against us. And remember the game two years ago in Illinois, where you know their DBs were just smoking our small wide receivers, killing yeah, them across they the middle. Killed Wondell. 
But JD got killed too. Yeah, yeah, he did. But at the same token, what's the thing that's really hurt us against Illinois? It's just it's been turnovers. I think we've yeah. had nine against in the last two years. And people will remember last year's game, which was just our worst game of the season by far. But two years ago, I think we out yard them by almost 400 damn yards, but we have four turnovers to their none. And yeah. we're barely walking out of that game with a victory. We wouldn't have won if we didn't have Wandell. You know, Mac, we were sitting right behind Wandell's dad, and that was his yeah, breakout day. It was. But it didn't need to come to that. You don't mm-hmm. out yard teams by 400 yards. And, and play close games like that. But then you go and you watch the Rutgers game last year, and we out yard them by 400 yards, but four turnovers and allowing you know a punt to, to get run for a first down and having a kickoff return against you. That's the 2010 San Diego Chargers all over. You find every way to lose despite everything else showing you should win. So your point here, guys, is, is like the front seven of the linebackers, you know, could turn that around a little bit just from a physicality standpoint, you know, against Illinois, for example, in game one and, and, and lay it to them, I guess. Do you agree with this ranking? I mean, the linebackers to me is a little bit questionable just because of the depth, I guess. And you mentioned, you know, losing Honus. I mean, I, I really love the potential there, but would you take this linebacker core over the secondary right now? It'd be a toss up between the two, but you know, if you go outside and inside, with Reimer, and then you have Nelson, who's been a multiple-year star. You still yeah. have Caleb Tanner back there. Henrik is going, to, you know, he's already proven to be a bit of a playmaker. And then I guess you got to put JoJo in that. So, I mean, I mean, it is pretty deep. To Dave's point, though, a little bit too, though, I, I think it does lack some of the star power at the starters, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know who. Well, I mean, but that's other really than only the pass rusher that would make it elite. I mean, other than JoJo Doman right now, as a starter on that list, I think there's some very good players there. I don't know that there's, you know, an all conference guy that's anywhere in that linebacker crew, at least coming into the preseason. Whereas if you're looking at the DBs, you could m- name multiple guys that could be at least on some kind of honorable mention, or, you know, obviously Cam Taylor Britt. There are guys that would be all conference. I think on the O line, there's potential for some all conference guys. You know, I, if it's just about the starter, you could move the, that QB group up. Adrian could easily be the second or number three on this list. Uh, linebackers, I wonder sometimes the way the three, four kind of works, how it just kind of all ties together. I wonder if it, it almost acts like a, it's a combo. It's a, it's a group. It's a unit. It's not just the three down linemen. It, I, I'm really treating it like it's the front seven. It's almost like the, you know, the sum is better than the individual parts when they're humming together. I, I think JoJo though, could be an all-conference guy. I mean, preseason, maybe not, but he, I don't know. Well, I think he's the one guy preseason that could be. Now, that's a whole different story than postseason. There's ability, guys, but I'm just saying coming into the preseason, uh, other than Doman, there's there's no one really that would warrant any of no, that kind of consideration I would, I would, yet. I would definitely agree with that. Although I don't think in the secondary it's much beyond Cam Taylor-Britt, if I'm being real frank. But Cam Taylor-Britt should be about a lock for that. How about on the D line though? Who do you think we got Robinson? Well, I think Stilly has name recognition of being here for five years, but I think it's Robinson is going to be the guy that ends up getting a lot of chatter from recruiting rankings that he had mm-hmm. a couple of years ago to he's now coming off a yeah. full year of playing. Casey Rogers has ranked high in some of those stats. Damian Daniels has ranked high. Yeah. I mean, there's there's multiple guys actually on that D line, which Again, when you look at them, they're listing them as the number one 
position group here. I mean, even Damon Benning a couple of weeks ago was talking about Jordan Riley was the guy that they thought, you know, had all the NFL mold and, yeah. and fit to him. And we've talked about Nash and the, the polar bear and the size he brings. And my gosh, he's a, a third stringer right now behind those guys. I mean, that's crazy. There's, there's a ton of depth right now yeah. in that front. And uh, again, that's not something that we had uh, in year one when Frost was getting here. But when we talk about that, there's been progress, even though the, the winds haven't come yet with it. I mean, they built the foundation. This is the part of where we're getting like, you have to envision something that hasn't happened yet, but the strength and conditioning is there. The experience is, we're getting to a point now where there's a lot of experience at all these position groups. So almost none of them are just, yeah. you know, we're, we're not starting over in any of them, right? There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of experience, the size that they want, the culture that they want, all those things are there. If you're eliminating excuses, I don't have any reason to see this team not be able to perform well. If we go out there and we are getting run over six yards of carry by Wisconsin and Iowa, will not happen. That I, will I not mean, happen. I, I'd be blown away. I'd be, I'd be completely shocked. And that's exactly what they were yeah. doing to us just two years ago. But I'd be completely shocked if that was happening now. And that would be a horrible sign, obviously. Obviously. You know, talking about preseason possible, you were talking about the O-line, but if, if having over a 35-inch vertical and being able to pass block cows and then water ski and catch air doesn't get you some preseason hype as a center, I mean, what, what's it going to take? You know, <laughs> that dude's having, having himself a year. <laughs> He's looking ready to go. Good stuff, guys. Well, thanks, Sam McEwen, for the, uh, the fodder. Yeah, it was a fun little Thanks, chat. Thanks, Sam, for a great yeah. article. Yeah. <laughs> we almost agree. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole lot of chat to basically not have any issue, any main issue with it. So, <laughs> No, not really. Hey, not this really. is off-season. That's right. That's what it's all about. All right, guys, uh, let's get out of here with some parting shots, and I'll start with Honky. I really don't have a lot for this weekend other than I'm just going to talk about the baseball team one more time amazing season it was so great to watch them finish it up the way they did this last weekend to you know clinch a week early this is a good conference by big 10 standards this year there's five or six really good competitive teams and uh, for us to run away the way we did at the very end of it i'm i'm ecstatic so you know let's show up husker nation Redcasters show up this weekend. Let's sell out Haymarket Park every game. I can't imagine there's going to be an issue with that anyways, but uh, let's sell it out. Let's celebrate this team. And and to the team, block all that out. Don't worry about you know having all those people there and no letdowns here. Let's go out there and let's sweep Michigan, man. Let's get, get them all. You know, Don't give them a chance to, to get a breath the way you guys did against Ohio State there. Nine nothing. Do the same thing. So anyways, uh, celebrate this weekend and uh, go Big Red. Yeah, great point, Hawk. I would just want to add to that. I mean, for the Husker baseball players that listen to us, I mean, think <laughs> about Michigan baseball players. They probably haven't played in front of anybody all year long. You've already played in front of at least 4,000 fans in a game. Uh, they're going to see 8,000 people there and probably freak out. So use that to your advantage. There we go. All right, Boomer, what do you got? Well, keeping with the theme of a championship uh, week here on the podcast, first off, I'd like to invite all of our loyal listeners to uh, join me and Rob in uh, watching uh, St. Kilda and North Melbourne play this weekend on uh, Fox Sports, uh, two teams that are in no danger whatsoever of possibly winning a championship this year. <laughs> well, they're playing god-awful, so uh, you got to step late, I think, uh, 1.30 kickoff time here in the state side, but uh, should be fun anyway, why the heck not? And on a more positive possible championship note, I do want to give a uh, brief shout-out to uh, new Husker head rifle coach, uh, Mindy Miles. Uh, she was a former assistant coach there and stepped into the uh, 
head coach role. We've had a pretty successful rifle team here. And uh, just reading the press release, I was just kind of intrigued the fact she's uh, replacing uh, former coach Rachel Martin, uh, who is leaving to pursue an advanced degree with the Scottish Institute for the Study of War and Strategy through the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. So hmm. that's way cooler than anything I ever did in college. So congrats, everybody involved there, and go Big Red. You mentioned uh, Redcast Rob. I brought this up on a previous show a couple of weeks ago, but we ran into one of the rifle members that weekend of the spring game started talking with her and everything. And she's on the team next year. And, and uh, we committed that uh, we'd be making it to a, at least one rifle contest this year. And I plan to stick with that. So uh, I actually, I'd like to kind of go to like one of every sport that we have rifle, you know, let's do a tennis one. Let's do, let's do everything. Right. And boomer, you and I've been talking about going to bowling forever, but uh, anyways, yeah, be, I think it'd be sweet to go to a rifle contest. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, we'll do a Redcast passport. That's what we need. Just okay. Oh, yeah, your sports, like stamp it, and go there. Yep, I like it. Excellent. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm Boomer, if you had to get a degree in Scottish warfare, so whatever that was, I'm, I'm sure you'd do fine. But uh, <laughs> uh, good for everyone there. All right, uh, Mac, get us out of here. So do they just play like Braveheart in that? class you think and just <laughs> hey, go from shouting there. freedom that's yeah right, it's yeah, just yeah. just a bunch of william wallace quotes no um he, <laughs> i just want to say uh to the redcasters out there you know these la- these uh mask mandates are lifted it's so nice to see everybody's face uh once again it's it's great to get back to normal i'm so excited for this weekend and having a big baseball event out there and actually hearing some crowd noise without the muffling cloth in front of it you know and really really get after it out there i'm excited Go big red. All right. Great stuff, guys. I'll give my uh, bet cast pick here. I'll take the Saints over the ruse. Boomer over <laughs> Rob. Lock it down. For now, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red. GBR. Hood at Media Production.